So, Father, we just uh, we worship you. Lord, we just bless what you're doing. Father, we just honor your presence. You're so good. So, so good. And, uh, Lord, I pray today for, Lord, just a spirit of wisdom to be released. Lord, I pray for the spirit of revelation. Father, Lord, I pray your hearts would just be open to hear and receive. Lord, I thank you for the transformation you're bringing about in lives and the people of this house. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you for that and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so today we're going to finish up this series on pursuing presence. And you may be wondering, why is Paul wearing a prayer shawl? And I'll tell you about that more as we go on today and why I'm doing this. Um, but I, I, I trust you've got something out of this series. I, I, I pray that in everyone who's heard what we've been sharing, that is at some level motivated you to go deeper in your walk with God. I don't have mine. It really has. And, and I pray the reality of, of being a people in the word and being a people in worship and just learning to just make a place where his presence has really um, went from head knowledge and really has founded its way in our heart. And today I want to talk about just releasing the presence of God, releasing the kingdom of God. You know, personal history with God is so vital. But at the end of the day, your personal history isn't just so you can tell stories about what God did in your room. It's actually in the place of personal history with God that God wants to empower you to go out in public and release the kingdom. Amen? And one thing I really want to try to do this morning, and I think we still struggle with this. I'm going to just be honest. I'm going to, as always, I'm going to just cut the chase and tell you what I think. I think a lot of churches, and even our church at times, struggles with the fact of engaging in public ministry. I don't know if that's because you feel you've not been empowered or because you think it's not your job, but scripturally speaking, you have are an ambassador in the kingdom. And it's your assignment to take the gospel every day you live life and see the kingdom established. Yeah. On my lips, your praise will ever be on. It's a great song. I love it. Don't apologize. It's a good song. But I want to just jump in this thought about releasing the presence. Presence will always precede power. Let me write a couple of things I want to just say to you this morning. The power of God in my life is not as important as the Prince of God in my life. When I come to a place in life where the presence of God dominates my life, then the power of God will manifest out of my life. This is a, a statement that the Lord put me in the late 90s. It's, it was really when I was transitioning out of just a uh, box religion and starting to really encounter the power of the Holy Spirit that he began thinking about the power of encountering the presence of God. Benny Hinn says this, the presence of the Holy Spirit leads us to live in the power of the anointing if we are willing to pay the price of obedience. I want to drive the fact home today about how presence is a must. Presence must be the priority. And true power only comes out of a people who have known the presence of God. Anybody who moves in signs and warnings apart from presence, uh, yeah, new age, cultish, you need to be very careful of that because 
out of the place of true intimacy with the Lord comes his power. So I'm always careful when I, when I see people who move in miracles and signs and wonders, but yet there's no history with God. You realize you're dealing there with a spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. So for us, it's being a people who we continually give ourselves to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And out of that place of giving, he fills us with himself. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Notice there, the Holy Spirit leads him to the wilderness, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. But then you read down to verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout all surrounding district. Here we go. Here's the truth again. Presence, power. Presence, power. You will not have power until you walk in presence. Luke 5. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. One day he was teaching and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to perform healing. Why was the power there? Because he would often draw away to the place of prayer. I'm trying to give you scriptural foundation of the importance of you living a life in stillness and privacy with Holy Spirit. That you make history with him. And out of that history, you become a carrier of that power on your life. I love what Bill Johnson says. The Holy Spirit is trapped in unbelieving believers. Wow, what does that mean, Paul? Here's what it means. There are people, charismatics, Pentecostals, who are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they don't believe. I believe in Jesus, I believe in salvation, I believe in heaven, but this whole miracles and signs and wonders and me taking the gospel out on myself, I just don't buy that. So the Holy Spirit is trapped in unbelieving believers. Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. The truth is, for most Christians, he's not a river. He's a dammed. He's, he's dammed up. Most believers, if we're going to be honest, don't have a river flowing out of their heart. They've built a dam, and the water is being held up. We just need to chill on that one. Ask yourself the question this morning. Are you a river or are you a lake? Are you flowing with the Holy Spirit? Or do you have potential that's spiraled up because you just won't release it? I like what else Bill Johnson says. He says, the Holy Spirit is in you for you, but he is only for somebody else. So the Holy Spirit is in me for me. He's in there for me to uh, know his peace, his love, his wisdom. He's there to guide me as I study my, my Bible. He's there to bring insight, but yet he comes upon me for you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not about yourself. It's about you being empowered for those around you. You can't be sought in light if he's not upon you. Is this okay so far? Has this been making sense, this whole series? Okay, I just want to make sure we're kind of tracking together. The kingdom is within you. One of the things I'd love to talk about is talk about the kingdom, and the kingdom is within you. Luke 17, 
nor will they say, look here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. Man, guys, that's an amazing thought that you and I carry the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's, the word kingdom means the domain of the king. It's the rule and the reign of God. Inside of you is the rule and reign of God. Here's the kingdom. Let me break it down for you, what it is. It is eternity breaking to the hearts of men in this present age. It is heaven being reflected in the earth by the people of God. It is the earth being restored to its original intention by the people of God being one with heaven. It is God's dominion demonstrating its superiority over the kingdom of darkness. It is faith manifesting the unseen reality into the realm of the visible, natural eye. That's the kingdom of God. That's what you carry in you today. Amen, Paul. That's good preaching. I'm sorry, guys. It's not I look for, like, like validation. But I guess when you get around people who just are as passionate about this as you are, it's always good to hear, like, yes, I believe that. Maybe just my own inner healing issues I need to deal with in a few weeks. But I want to give you a, a truth right here. And the truth is this, is that we are called to partner with God in seeing the kingdom of God established. And the key there is I want you to catch, you're called to partner with God. And I want to give you two scriptures that's going to validate this point. But before I do that, I need to give you another scripture that is oftentimes thinking so bad out of context that if we... We can say the scripture, and it, and, it, and it can actually kill what I'm trying to say. But here's the scripture we want to deal with this morning that we need to deal with. It's John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that scripture is taken so bad out of context. And here's what I mean by that. Most people pray that scripture meaning this. God, all of you and none of me. And why that sounds spiritual, that's not biblical. And I'm going to give you two reasons why it's not biblical. But before I go on, you have to understand John 3.30 in light of Matthew 11.11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So here's what John's saying. When John says he must increase and I must decrease, here's what John's saying. I am the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he is coming with the new covenant bringing the kingdom. So the old covenant must decrease. And the new covenant must begin to increase. It has nothing to do with John saying, God, all of you, none of me. We, we can't have that thinking because we, if we have that thinking, guys, then we won't partner with heaven because we, we think it's all him and none of us. And the truth is, until you move, he won't do jack. The message of sovereignty is killing the American church. Yes, and I've said this a thousand times, and I'm going to say it again. God is sovereign in the fact that he answers to no one. He is the supreme, ultimate being. But God is not in heaven with puppet strings on you, making you do what you want to do in life. God is not causing the bad in your life. The heavens or the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. Let me bear out my point. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make men in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule the fish of the sea, over the bird of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created male. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the bird of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We've got to hear drink of water. Oh, wait, I have my green Kool-Aid because we drink green Kool-Aid at Freedom Point. It's good stuff. Jolly Rancher Sour Apple Drink Mix. Guys, this is the bomb. Thank you, Daniel. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Because I love these things as a kid. They're so good. But notice here. Notice in verse 26. This is important. I want you to catch this. Verse 26. That man was to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the cattle and over the earth. And then in verse 28, he reemphasizes that again. So, Man rules bird of the sky, cattle, fish. You need to understand that in a lot of Philippians 2.10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. It's a picture of Genesis 1. Bird of the sky, cattle on the ground, fish under the sea. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of things in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. We are commissioned to demonstrate his kingdom by his name, therefore bringing all things in subjection to his name. See, Genesis 1, Adam's assignment was to partner with God to bring his plan into reality. Because you understand, the kingdom of God was, the kingdom started in the garden. And the plan was that out of the east of Eden, where the, king, where the garden was planted, from that place, it would take over the entire earth. But when man failed, the plane was cut off. That's why when Lucifer offered Jesus the keys, he was actually given something that was his, because he had them. But Jesus took the keys back and gave back to us. So Jesus restored back to us fully everything that Adam lost. That's why we can pick up Genesis chapter 1 again, because we are now being recommissioned to take the nations of the earth with the full gospel of the kingdom. You another scripture that bears this point out. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we, and this is about it, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteous of God in him. Chapter 6. And working together with him. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. But did you catch that? Uh, chapter, chapter 5. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. The truth of you called to co-labor with God has to become real in your heart. It, it really freaks people out when you say, God, how can I say this? It doesn't sound bad. It's Matthew 10. Preach the kingdom is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Cleanse the leper. Notice there, he said, he said, don't pray and ask God to heal the sick. He said, you heal the sick. What happens? Matthew 10, he actually gives them power to cast out devils and to heal the sick and raise the dead. That's why he's so mad at them in Matthew 17. Because they brought the man who has a son whose name is Ed. And he says, how long will I suffer with you? He had already empowered them to cast out demons and they couldn't do it. That's why he was so furious with his disciples. 
Listen. Genesis 2.5. There was no trees had grown in the garden. Because there was, there was no man in the, in, in, there was no man in the garden to cultivate the ground. Because there was no rain. There are things that God wants to release out of heaven, but he won't do until a person is in place to partner with the plan. You have to be buying to the thought, I am called to partner with heaven's purposes every day of my life. And if we don't get that as a church, guys, we need to shut the doors down. Because I'm telling you, we will not make the impact that God has a vision for in our region. And God, in time, will raise up another group of people with the same vision to do it. And if they don't bind to the fact that they are called to co-labor with God, then they too need to shut the doors down and quit. You shouldn't say that, Paul. No, it's just true. It really is true. That's why when I look for people in my life, people I'm looking into with, I find we have the same vision. It's how can I transform what's around, what's around me? How can I transform everything around me? That's why I have issues with mega churches that have 20,000 members and yet the crime rate is still the same. The party rate is still the same. Every rate in there, the drug rate, the suicide rate, the abortion rate, the teen rate, nothing changes. Why are you there, guys? Because you're not being sought in light. So I said that, Paul. No, it's really biblical. At 17, these men turned the world upside down. Within a number of years, these guys went from being spiritual believers to, and that's something, they're going through riots because they've turned their world upside down. Let me give you another truth I want you to grab hold of is this, is that not only is the kingdom within us, we're actually called to be gatekeepers of the kingdom. Genesis 28 and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been loosed previously. Now here's what's amazing. Jacob has just had this encounter with God and he names it Bethel. Bethel. Beth in Hebrew is house, El of God. So Bethel is the house of God. Just like Bethlehem is the house of bread. He's, he's the bread coming up from heaven. He says, this is the house of God. And he says, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Well, hello, house of God. That's you. Why? Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the house of God. But not only is Bethel the house of God, it's also the gate of heaven. Now, you understand, in Old Testament times, most businesses was conducted at the gates of the city. They controlled what came in the city, what didn't come in the city. They appointed leadership at the gate. There were so many things that happened at the gates. And so, as gatekeepers, we control what comes into a region or what doesn't come into a region. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. What was the business of the father? Killing the sick, raising the dead, cast out devils, multiply food, calm storms, disrupt funerals, pay taxes. April 15th, guys, can't wait. 
Maybe just for you all, pay the state off. But the reality of I'm called to partner with heaven, and I see as heaven sees. You know, the Bible says, well, What so you has been loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. Whatsoever has been bound in heaven will be bound on earth. When we learn to see the reality of heaven and what's been loosed and what's been bound, we can then come into agreement with heaven and see it may manifest in our region. See, I'm convinced that God has bound drug addiction in this region. The problem is this. We ain't stepping into it, guys. I'm convinced that God has bound the spirit of suicide in this region. The problem is we ain't stepping into it. Let me, I want to get just really real with you. I want to get in your face today. Because I'm going to get in my face as well. Until we act, it's not going to change. You can, play, you can pray to your blue in the face. It's not going to change. You know, me and, me and uh, Justin was talking about going out to Southside in a few weeks. Southside's a great place. Man, you got people down just full of demonic and drug users and homosexuals and just every Boy, man, go down there with the love of the, love of the Father and just get them wrecked. Oh, they might not convert. They might not get saved. But, man, what happens when a group of people actually love humanity so much that they'll leave their home and they'll go to a place like Southside and spend four or five hours giving people the encounter with the love of God? But you know what? Here's what's going to take. And I was praying this again last night. I pray, it's a prayer I pray often. Lord, let me see humanity like you see humanity. I want to see people through the eyes of God because when I see people through the eyes of God, I can then have a lot more compassion for them. When I see people through my own eyes, it's not pretty at times because I, I find the things in them that drive me crazy. Let's be honest. I know I probably drive a lot of you guys crazy. Like You can probably say something about me, and that's okay. But there are people that, when I see through my eyes, I'm like, I want to smack them. I want to just hit them, God. The dude's spiritual, God. And I, it's like, Holy Spirit says, why don't you see them from my point of view? Like, ooh, I need to repent. So a prayer I often pray is, God, let me see everybody in this house, in my family, at my, well, this is my job now, in the stores, let me see humanity let me see the radical Muslims through your eyes. Let me see the radical, let me see ISIS through your eyes. Whoa. Let me see the pedophile through your eyes. I'm not saying they don't need justice and they should be brought to justice. I'm saying, what would happen if we actually saw humanity through the eyes of Jesus, that he died for every one of them guys? Amen, Paul's good preaching. Listen, here's another truth I want you to get a hold of. And this is going to rock your theology. Jesus didn't save you to go to heaven. He saved you to put heaven inside you. He didn't save you so you could go to heaven. He saved you to put heaven in you. Here's another thought that we got to think about a lot. And I'm almost done. About Jesus. You know, Jesus did everything as God. We had no hope for doing what he did. But, if he does everything as a man through the Holy Spirit, we had no excuse for walking as he walked. 
Say that again. If Jesus did everything he did as God, we had no hope for walking as he walked. However, because he did everything as a man, dependent upon Holy Spirit, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, we have no excuse for walking as he walked. Give you four thoughts about why Jesus did what he did, what made him do what he did, what caused him to see miracles and healings and signs and wonders. Number one, first one, there was no separation between him and God. I don't have the scriptures on the screen, but you can, it's on 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. You understand that there is no separation between you and God. If you are born again, you have been fully reconciled to God. First Corinthians chapter 6. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So you have been fully reconciled to God. You're one with his spirit. Now, matter of fact, I say this. You know, the Bible says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this is a great mystery. This is one of these thoughts I think about often. I get a headache when I think about this. Because here it is. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit is in you. Bam, he's there. But then, the Bible says also that your life is hidden in Christ. So, he's in me and I'm in him. And I think about it often, I get a really bad headache because I just can't comprehend that. But here's my thought with that. Is that I believe we should become so one with him that people can't tell where God ends and I begin. And not that God ends, but we become so one with him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the expressed image of God. What happens? They were one perfect sync with each other. God wants you to become so in sync with his heart that you manifest his life daily. Number two, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Even Acts 1, this is amazing, guys, Acts 1, until that day when he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. The reason this is so vital is this is because he's already been glorified. He's already been crucified and raised from dead He's glorified now, and he's still speaking through the Holy Spirit. If Jesus himself is speaking through the Holy Spirit after he's been glorified, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit in our life? Amen, Paul. That's a good word right there, son. I said this last week, Acts 5. So they brought out the sick to the street and laid them on beds and couches, and at at the least of Peter's shadow, they might fall and get healed. He was full of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just Shondo Kondo. I've said this before a hundred times. I know I've said this before. It wasn't Shibata Honda. We, we equate being filled with speaking in tongues. You know, I, I, know, I know a guy, I have a, well, let me back up. I know a, I have a friend who knows a guy in Africa. He's had like 12, I think like 10 raising the dead. And he called my friend one day and he was upset. He goes, why? He goes, because I'm not full of the Holy Spirit, I don't speak in tongues. I'm thinking, dude, if you're risen from the dead, you don't need to speak in tongues. I mean, come on, man. You know, 
we equate, oh, wait, 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 I hear tongues, you're full of the Holy Spirit, but we can't work miracles. This dude's raising the dead and he don't speak in tongues. I think we got it backwards. Can I tell you the, the biblical evidence of the, the filling of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what Jesus said. It's in red. Yeah, they spoke in tongues, and that's two, and that's ten, and that's nineteen. But in that's eight. There's no recorded mention of tongues, and that's eight. And they said they was full of the Holy Spirit. But you don't find tongues in there at all. I'm convinced the real sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit in the morning is the love of God, but then true power, because you will receive power. Not tons. Even Paul says, do not they all, do, do they not all speak with tons? No. I love tons. As a Baptist, I know that he's a former Baptist. He's a former Baptist. She's a Baptist. We love tons. It's great. It's freedom. Matter of fact, Jess is going to preach in the Baptist church and he's going to speak on being full of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you can do it or not, but... So I, I want you to understand, I'm not against this. I love tons. Tons is great. It's freedom. Especially the devil. Help me. And then my mom gets spirit-filled, and she's speaking of tons. It's great. I love it. Well, I, guys, you know what? I'm just, here's what I'm doing in my life. I want to give such honor to the Scripture. I want to give such clarity to what the Word of God teaches. I want to be as balanced as I can be without any access either way. Not against, not, not over. I want to be true to this. And even when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it is, what it looks like, and how we walk in it. I, I wish to God I had been this way 15 years earlier in my ministry. Because that was probably a lot of hits I would have avoided that I had to unlearn. And this is one of them. You ain't spirit-filled one because you don't speak in tongues. And I would tell people, you ain't spirit-filled. I had a pastor tell me one day, about another pastor we both knew and he said i don't know if he's spirit-filled i said why do you not know that he goes because he i don't hear speaking tongues i'm thinking are you not spiritual enough to discern somebody has the baptism of the holy spirit i'm rambling now let me go on number three i think this is a real key i think this is a real key right here number three he understood who he was this is vital. This is probably the most vital point I can give you of all these four points. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven saying, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. He understood perfectly that he was a son. You have to understand that you're a son or daughter of the king. Because if you don't have that, you will get into strife, and you will try to do in the flesh what you cannot do in the flesh. You know, when Abner was born, he was about, he was about two weeks old, and he was one of those 2 a.m. feedings, my favorite kind. And I'm holding my son to the morning, giving him his bottle. And you know, it's really amazing about having kids. Man, you just get revelation about having, you know, you have kids like, bam, just inside about being a father and being a son. And I'm holding my son, and the Lord speaks to me and says, he says, sonship will put you in a place performance will never carry you into. My son couldn't perform for his bottle. He was two weeks old. But because he was my son, I gave what he needed. And when I started learning the truth about being a son, it took headaches out of my life. 
Because no longer did I have to try to strive and make God's approval that day. I realized I was fully accepted as his, as his son. He loved me for me. He didn't love me for how much I prayed or how much I fasted or how much I read. And guys, those things are important and they're vital and we should do those things. But when you understand that God loves you for you, it changes your whole life because you get set free of performance. Matter of fact, Jesus had this word, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he goes into the wilderness and the devil says, if you're the son of God, so he questions the very word he just had. And the word he had kept him from having to prove who he was. And I wonder how many times in life we try to prove who we are to others because we don't know who we really are. We don't have the word from Father that validates us. Can I tell you today, I am validated as a son. Nobody can ever convince me I'm not a son. I know I'm a son. Man, that is so amazing in my life. That when I blow it, Daddy still loves me. Yes, I repent and I ask for forgiveness. But it's like, Daddy's there. That's the beautiful thing about being a son. And you knowing it here, guys. So you know what? It's even like my sermons. Now it's like A plus before I even do it, before I even begin. It's an A plus. Why? Because they said so. You did good, son. Now, if you really match it up with grammatical and hermeneuticals and homiletic and all those uh, master theology programs, it probably sucks. You know, did I exegete the scripture correctly? Probably not do the best job. You know what? Dave's like, hey, plus, son, you're my son whom I'm well pleased. See, when you have his heart, you can release it to others. And I just wonder, really, how many people in here in my heart are this? You're, I'm not saying you're not saved, but I wonder how many people in this house really have his heart. Something you got to think about. Listen, everything I would say to you guys is my own personal conversation with the Holy Spirit. I don't never just say things out random. Everything I, I give you is what I get in my own personal prayer time. Last thought, and we'll move on. Uh, Jesus was completely dependent upon the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, without sin, perfect walk, was completely dependent upon Father, I can do nothing, he says. He says, I only do what I see him, I only do what he does, I only say what he says. Jesus was so effective in ministry, because it was twofold. Whatever he does, I do. Whatever he says, I say. What would happen if you and I learned to mimic Father completely? In life, in relationships, with money, with our health, what if we perfectly saw the Father in everything? Man, talk about saving headaches and stress and heart attacks and strokes. And the thing is, we can actually see Father perfectly. I want to give you a story. We're going to close. And I'll tell you about this. Years ago, go ahead and play, hey Nate, go ahead and start playing that music. Just cut it down kind of low. Years ago, there's this couple. And they love to go mining for gold and diamonds and jewels. And they, they mined for years and years and years and really have any success. You can't know a little more, man. Just on channel six. 
And they, you know, say they traveled all over the United States, but they just never really had any luck. And they decided they was going to sell their land and go to Europe for some reason. They just felt like Europe was the place to go. And they went to Europe. That's good. They went to Europe and struck it out, man. Tried like four years in Europe, and they just struck it out. And they said, you know what? Let's just go back home. And they went back home, and they wanted to go so they could buy their house again, the property that they, they had sold. When they got back, they found out that the house had been seized by the U.S. government. Because the U.S. government found, true story now, they found minerals and gold all under the house. Diamonds, gold, they found it all under the house. So this whole time, they're searching elsewhere for diamonds and jewels and gold and even go overseas, only to come back and realize the place they were at had what they wanted the entire time. Paul said that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And guys, they need this treasure God wants to release. It's not out there. It's not in Bill Johnson or Chris Valentin or Lee Vaughn or myself. It's in you. And God wants to mine you. And he wants to release in you the kingdom that you carry. Because at the end of the day, guys, you carry the kingdom in you. And it's such high value, high needed in this region. So why have this on? feel one of my assignments in life and one of the things I carry in my life is a grace for pursuit Paul said I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift that you may be established I remember about three or four years now that's longer than that now because I was still at my church I was praying one night and I felt like the Lord said I felt like the Lord said lift up your hands and I lifted my hands up in my room and you don't know me personally, I'm just kind of wild. I just kind of go with what God says. And I felt like God put something in my hands. He said, put it around your neck. And I felt this mantle come on me that night in my study. He said, I've given you a mantle to release to the body for pursuit. And while I don't have a lot of messages, I preach. I do like I can, but really, my passion message is as a kingdom is encounter and pursuit. And what I want to do this morning, because we haven't done any ministry during this series, is I feel like God wants to release a mantle on you for pursuit. That you will pursue like you have never pursued before. Now this isn't going to be osmosis. I'm not going to lay this on you and you're going to just start pursuing. You have to be a faithful steward of it. But I did this one other time. And I had a lady come to me about two hours later after we was done. She goes, I feel on me this mantle. I took this prayer 